Start the podcast. Howdy and welcome to Beers with Engineers, a podcast by Engineering Dads, where if it looks stupid but it works, then it's not stupid. Hurry up! Here, three blokes, Sean, James, and Pat, talk all things engineering, science, tech, maths, movies, entertainment, and news related. I swear I'm going to lose it! Anyways, sit down, relax, crack open a drink, and enjoy the episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to this week's Beers with Engineers podcast. Everyone grab your drinks. Sure thing. I got a bit excited and cracked mine a bit earlier. Yeah, I'm same, sorry, sorry Pads. And I'm trying cracked. to really get in there. There we go. Oh, that's a beautiful sound, mate. Well yeah. done. Um, so, obviously, there's a lot of things going on. And so, um, I felt like we did have to talk about this one in classic podcast fashion. Yeah, it's just the real crux of it. At the deep we problem. had to talk about it. It's such a deep, yeah, meaningful yeah. conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can and you what you were yeah. saying was something that I was experiencing. Yeah, I, I explained friend. it on my yeah. podcast, my other one. Mm. And yeah. I really, I really link, agree link with it. Check it out. I really sympathize with what you're saying because it really touched my heart and I kept mm-hmm. going with it and I kept thinking about it and it was just one of those things that yeah, was really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So yep. that was, we just covered off pretty much 90% of podcast intros right there. <laughs> Jesus <Yep>. Christ. <laughs> um, but no. Welcome back. Welcome back to this week's podcast. But no, the the real thing that I really want to talk about is obviously right now the conflict going across Ukraine, which is huge with with so many like short-term and long-term impacts. It would be incorrect not to talk about it because of the knock-on effects that this conflict will bring out in all the next 20, 30 years potentially. It's setting like a foundation for how society might look and it's really kind of dangerous. So I definitely wanted to talk about this one because there's a lot of things that we can talk about politically on this podcast. Um, this will just be talking about the knock-on effects, both economically, um, potentially some of the weapons that they've been using in Ukraine because it is the most recent conflict of large-scale powers um, as well as a general discussion topic. So mm. um, obviously, you guys, why do you think Russia invaded Ukraine? Well, they were part of the Soviet Union back in the day. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's and even a more histo- and even more historically, you, you, they've always had conflicts like in the seventeenth, eighteenth century. Yeah, and even you go back to the sixteenth century when um, Ukraine and Russia were kind of combined because Ukraine's been its own independent thing for thousands of years, and people don't realize that. Mm. Um, back in the sixteenth century, when there was a re- religious alliance, that's what Russia want to bring back and think they can make it work. Which I'd be terrified if that was. To... I'm, I'm not sure if it's like ideologically religiously driven. I think conflict. it was Christian. Like I don't know if it was Christian or Orthodox driven or something like that, but I know it has something to do with religion wouldn't, wouldn't it be in... more like Russian Orthodox that type of I don't think you can consider Putin that <laughs> to be perfect guys I don't know his uh, his belief structure but it's it's Kev Crane's mind but yeah, yeah like, kept to, close to, to the chest to, to pretty yeah. much sum it up um, the Soviet Union has been dispatched since uh, disparted since 1991 and now they want to realign it and bring it back into fruition. Well, no, that's not exactly the the driving factor. There's a few driving factors here. And I think it comes down to the classic case of it's about oil. It's always about oil. Countries, large superpowers invading other countries for oil. This might be one of the reasons. And I want to explain a little bit. Um, (coughs) Sorry, coughing on a podcast, bad etiquette. Um, but it, I think it comes down to commodities. And I was watching a video on, like, I think it was Real Life Law on YouTube on on this topic. Um, everything, of course, on YouTube, take it with a grain of salt. It's not the uh, encyclopedia of the world. But it did give some really interesting points and some really interesting data. So how many countries do you believe in the European continent are petrochemicals countries where what? they can export uh, natural gas, crude oil? 
how many countries do you reckon in in Europe, like the large, a very large continent, has commodities to trade? Like in as in exporting oil, I know for exporting. a fact it's not much at all. I know they import a lot of it from Russia. Correct. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's because there's only one country in Europe that exports commodities. These commodities. It is Russia. Russia is yeah. the only petrochemical country in the entire European continent. So they have a monopoly on this. And it makes up a massive part of their financial structure. 50% of the government's d- dedicated to commodity mining. 30% of Russia's GDP right now is petrochemicals. Mm. Natural gas and crude oil being exported around the world. That is a lot. You think of 30% of GDP is a lot. Just to, for comparison, Australia, which is like this touted as a huge coal exporter, Guess as a percentage how much of that it makes up our GDP, the coal rent. It's like less than 2%, isn't it? 0.65 in the previous estimate. 0.65% of our economy is coal, yet it seems to be the talking point in all politics. Historically, it's been around 2%, though, right? The coal. It's it's probably dipping at this point. The most recent one was, I think, 2019. Mm. And I don't think coal has been expanding that much between now and then. On, On the other end of it, Ukraine is also a major exporter of popular commodities one being ammonia which is used for fertilization iron mm. ore is also very high in exploitation in um ukraine and also potatoes i saw was also big in ukraine so yeah they're, they're an economic powerhouse so There's, well yes and no so ukraine has had a, a few little uh, problems recently so one of the things that ukraine used to be obviously was part of the ussr and under the ussr blanket that's why uh chernobyl which was a russian run uh, nuclear facility is actually in Ukraine. Most people didn't realize that they thought it was fairly in mm. It was just part of the Soviet yeah. Union in the 80s. And in the time, it was run by the Russians. Yeah. But nowadays, it expired. Um, expired is probably not the correct word to explain no. that, that event. Um, but that being said, Ukraine obviously had really close ties with Russia historically. They broke up in the early 1990s. And now Ukraine, its own state. Now, up until about 2014, mm-hmm. it has very, been a very pro-Russian State. It's been a, a pretty much a satellite of Russia. They work quite closely, do a lot of trading both with gas and oil. Yeah, especially the far right yeah. of Ukraine. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Well, one of the things on exporting on the far right, so um, during the time of the USSR, they built massive ga- uh, gas pipelines through Ukraine, which was at the time part of the, the same country, more or less, the same kind of alliance, um, to feed up Europe. Now, Europe is a massive importer of gas, right? Germany, half of its imports of natural gas come from Russia. And guess which pipeline it uses? The Nord 1? No. Oh, I know Nord 1's gas, right? Nord 1 is natural gas. But yeah. um, in 2014, 2000 and, no, sorry, let me double check that. 2005, 80% of the natural gas being exported through Russia went through Ukraine. Now, because it's an independent country, no longer part of the USSR, it paid massive tariffs, Russia, to Ukraine to keep that pipeline going because like it's a little fee it's like oh it's your country you will pay for it even though initially the russians built that pipeline so they're not very happy that they have to pay money on their own assets here like it's a lot of gas and you can see that as times develop the gas pipelines from russia to europe have gone all the way around nordstrom one and two the uh under the water there's also one that's going through like the black sea even though germany's backed off nordstrom two now Mm. yeah and so this this is a really big issue so obviously this could be uh, an opportunity for Russia to take back that gas pipeline. It's, it's not just that. It's also an opportunity to install new gas pipelines. So there's a company called Gazprom. So BP and Shell have pretty much diverted from Russia and gone, no, we want nothing to do with this. So now there's a company called Gazprom. And what they're doing is during these sanctions, building a 50 billion meters cube gas pipeline to China. 
Mm. At least there's um, provisions for it anyway. Yeah. So wait, now, wait, wait. So they're building a pipeline from Ukraine to no, Russia, Russia to, to Ru- China to now pretty much like, you know, there's all these economic sanctions going yeah. through to strengthen the economic relationship between Russia and China because they're a neutral that, partner. That project would have been developed before this conflict started. Let's be perfectly honest. You, but that being said, China's right. not going to knock it back. And now Maybe. there's no competition because yeah. BP and Shell are like, no, we want nothing to well, do with it. that's not entirely true. So BP and Shell obviously have massive interest in Russia. But one of the things that made them very interesting was in 20, 2012, they found in the Dead Sea during the Ukraine's economic zone, what was the exact amount? Two trillion cubic meters of natural gas. Hmm. Ukraine was about to become the second petrochemical country in the European continent. And while also charging fees for Russia to export their gas, they would mine their own and put it into the gas pipes for free. So they, be- they became a massive competitor in 2012. And guess what happened in 2014? The invasion of Crimea? Yeah. yeah. So there's a few things that happened. One, a pro-NATO European Union alliance... Uh, uh, conflict took place amongst the people in Ukraine. In that time, the previous pro-Russian uh, government was swapped out with the current leader, um, who's very pro-Europe and pro-NATO. Um, and during that exact same time, Russia invaded Crimea and took 80% of the coastline off Ukraine and two-thirds of that mining area in the in the Dead Sea. They literally stole back the... Not stole back, but stole the land back where they could have mined it. So they no longer could they actually mine. And at that mm. point, BHP and Shell pulled out because they went, well, we don't know who, who we're selling this to at this moment. We've stopped investment. So trillions of dollars that were about to go into Ukraine's economy when they were just doing like surveying disappeared overnight because you, during like the, the taking of Crimea isolated the entire yeah. the entire economic zone disappeared and then and then you got to take into account also Dontesk and Lohonsk, I don't know how to pronounce the second one, is now independent. Um, separatist union as well, so they 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 got lost at the exact same time as well, or around mm. the same time. And yeah. there's been Ukraine and Russian rebellions in there, but that's a bit, you know, it still takes land, but it's a bit off topic of the actual war itself. But yeah, like that that's pretty scary that you know BP had such a big contribution, and now during the war they're just like they they pretty much won out because of this. And yeah. Gazprom is now utilizing everything, and going fuck, we don't care about the war. Like we're really capitalist driven. We can make some investments off this. So we're mm. going to profit as much as we can. And some companies will do that. Use yeah. as much as they can to get there. But yeah, what? there's more on the, the, the oil and gas stuff. Well, it's more because ever since the, the invasion of Crimea, Ukraine has made it very clear we want Crimea back. Mm. They've made massive stands into the point. So have you guys seen the map of Crimea on, on a map of Ukraine? It looks like a little sort of triangle at the bottom of Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very much isolated from Ukraine, so it's quite easy to invade. It's very difficult to put a force back from Ukraine because it's a very small bridge, more or less, a very small land bridge back to Ukraine. Mm. The problem is it's a very marshy area. It's very dry, um, <clears throat> and a lot of the water came from Ukraine. So following the invasion of Crimea, Ukraine just went, well, you're not part of Ukraine anymore. We don't need to supply you anything and shut down the water supply. 85% of fresh water supply to Crimea disappeared overnight. Mm. Massive, right? Imagine the 2 million people living on Crimea, 85% of the water. Right now, well, right, right now, before Crimea, before the events of the invasion of Ukraine, Crimea was looking unstable because they couldn't get enough water, they couldn't get enough supplies in. They were holding this land to deny Ukraine gas fields. But it did nothing for the actual people there. They were actually looking to flip back. And this is another reason mm. why this has happened now. Because you can put 200,000 troops in Crimea. And 
for an invasion, no one's going to cause a fight when you have 200,000 people surrounding yeah. you with guns. And then also, if you successfully, you know, win, a, win over an invasion, it's no longer an argument of how good Ukraine is as a trading powerhouse. They're no longer a trading powerhouse. It's all owned by Russians. So that war mm. on water is no longer an issue. They literally yeah. own the commodity. That is fucking scary. There's a reason why they push through that quickly through Crimea to, to unlock that water supply quite quickly, to to break down the barriers that they put back up, to, to enable um, Crimea to be a, its own civilization. It, it's very, like, there's a lot of things that, why they invaded these areas. It, it's There's a lot of driving factors into it. And so, obviously, well, certainly not obviously, but I think... Generally speaking, I don't believe Russia expected the reaction from the world that has currently taken place. I don't think they thought... I believe they thought they could take Ukraine as easily as they took Crimea. And it is very different. It has been an aggressive global response with the exception of a few countries. We're looking at sanctions of like... Which countries? Which countries don't... Like, haven't put in sanctions? Yeah. Belarus, um, not Belarus. Oh yeah, well, no, yeah, was it Belarus, Belarus would have been a satellite. So, but um, in terms of large global powers, China's remained completely neutral. I mean, that's, and that's and, fucking obvious. Yeah, and their sanction is they actually bought more, bought more stuff off Russia. Shit, yeah, following. They would. Well, you can't blame them for that, considering the fact that only a few days ago it was reported that like the 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 Russian ruble or whatever it is called it dropped to its lowest. Yeah, it's current. It was like under one US cent. Yeah, like, like it's wild. Obviously, you're gonna fucking profit on this, stu- yeah. like the stupidity that is mm. like happened in Russia. Yeah. And so, like the knock-on effects from this decision and the whole conflict is just incredible in terms of short term as well as long term. And so, like in terms of short term, obviously the sanctions hurt, and they they definitely targeted them against the Russian oligarchs. So there's about eight oligarchs, billionaires that support Putin. And under them, they control mm. a lot of different fields and industry in, in Russia. And so they literally went to target those oligarchs. And so you've seen houses in the south of France seized by the French police. $750 million of yachts in Venice, under-imposing. Impo- no flights for Russian oligarchs. And that is actually something that Australia backed into. We, we denied flights for oligarchs mm. to Australia. I mean... I don't know if they'll fly to Australia at this time. It's kind of going into winter. I think they would rather go someplace a bit warmer. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, our winter is basically their summer. Come on. Uh, I've never been to Russia. I don't know the, the climate, so I can't comment on that. It seems cliche- <laughs> It seems stereotypically cold whenever I look at a movie from Russia. Yeah, exactly. You just yeah, think yeah. of nothing but snow and those the hats. I'm pretty sure that's uh, like what's the uh, the very top bit where everyone gets sent if you go to prison. Like the like the very top of oh, the Russia. gulag or the not the gulag. The uh, it's like so. so Sus with an S. I can't, I can't think of it. Siberia. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, mm. pretty ass into nowhere. But no, that, I don't think that's a good representation of Russia, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah. I really wanted to go to Moscow until recently. It's a very beautiful um, uh, city. Uh, the point being is the knock-on effects. Like, let's talk about some of the knock-on effects mm-hmm. that are currently going on. And the biggest one, I think, was the change of SWIFT code to deny Russians to trade money. This is massive because a lot of companies... Uh, don't have the headquarters in the country they work in. For example, my dad's software company had headquarters in Ireland. Not like they had an office there, but they have it there because of tax reasons. Now, money can no longer move from any country into Russia. So if you, for example, work for Nike, your headquarters is in San Francisco or something. You're no longer uh, getting paid if you actually have an office in Russia. So this is now biting, biting the... like lower and middle classes of Russia. It's no longer going after the oligarchs. That was seen as like one of the last like levers to pull. 
So are you saying that like if you work for any company, say company X, and there's stores all over the world and there yeah. happens to be one store in Russia, then foreign all international those trading- employees in that store are not getting paid. No yeah. money can get through. So it's a really massive impact yeah. on like the even the hospitality and the and the economy on yeah uh, retail. So you could see a massive increase in unemployment in Russia coming up. A lot of multinational co- corporations, Facebook and whatnot, would have that too. They just have cut off their division. And you see, like you've definitely seen it as well, companies in Europe who are building projects for Russia, like mm. some of the gas pipelines or buildings or. Uh, I guess uh, bridges or anything like basic infrastructure they literally can't work there anymore done mm. your infrastructure projects billions and trillions of dollars gone and just to clarify Russia's economy is slightly smaller than Spain's mm. and they still have a massive military presence that is kind of terrifying that you have such a huge military presence for such a small GDP such a small economy, I always yeah. thought that um, the way that the military was set up in Russia was almost similar to um, what it's like in Egypt where if between the ages of... Like conscription, like forced conscription. It's, it's forced conscription, but it's like between 18 yeah. to... When, when you're 18 years, serve like three or four years in the mm. military and then you can do whatever you want. That, yeah. that, I mean, that's the way it goes in Egypt or in... A Singapore lot of other does it as well. Yeah. I think Switzerland does it. Um, so, so countries th- that do it, yeah. I don't know if... Like, I, I, I just always assumed Russia kind of did something similar. Were they talking about potentially doing forced conscription now mm. for everyone? Yeah, but okay. So, but back on the point where you were talking about the, uh, um, the pulling the lever for the economy, going, put, basically putting money into Russia. They're not doing that anymore. Yeah. Do you yeah. see this as a good thing or a bad thing? This is awful. This is absolutely awful because there's money that can't go either way. So mm-hmm. Russian pe- Russian investors who want to build things overseas where it's probably maybe potentially safer, or the project makes sense, or it lines up with their portfolio. Gone. They can't do anything. Yeah. And then same way as well. I will agree that it's. It might have. It's going over mainly for the fact that it impacts more of just the everyday Joe the, mm. and the and the common man and common woman more than it actually impacts, um, like uh, the oligarchs and Putin or whatever, everything like that. However, you need to you need to set a precedent. It's like yeah. you, you just can't invade invade a country and just be like everyone be like, oh yeah, you can do that. It's like no. Yeah. It's like it, it's it'll be surprising to me if this didn't happen. Well, the thing is, so it's good thing has happened because even though it's a bad, even though it's bad for people that are going to be a lot of people unemployed, millions possibly, probably Mm. maybe more. I don't know what the population is Mm. in Russia. However, those people that are upset will want to get their money back. Who are they going to blame? They're not going to blame everyone outside. They're going to blame their leader, who is Putin. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like even though Russia is communist, there still is funding from major corporations, and to quantify that. Russian billionaires saw their combined net worth drop by $39 billion within a single day of the invasion happening. Even Russian markets plunged within five days of their indexes at Moex that dropped, plunged by 33% and like tanked over $50 billion in a single day. But you would know this. What was the worst market in there? What, what market got hit the most? It was the energy market. Oh, I was going to say. Yeah. When, was um, Gennady, I think his name's... <laughs> Gennady Timcheka, which is an investment group they called Volga, they focus on all, all the stuff related to energy, lost $4.7 billion alone on the same mm. day as, as the Russian attack. I bet they're a commodity exporter, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the energy industry is going to take the biggest hit. However, I also think it's an opportunity for Europe as well, right? So mm. Russia, you know, like we've already touched, is the biggest exporter of oil. Now that Europe isn't getting their oil anymore, they have to really push for renewables. They have to push for more renewable projects and now go, shit, you know, this is going to be 
maybe not in, in initially, but in the long term, we're going to see more push on the climate action. I mean, yes, because obviously right now, um, Germany and the whole like, so the entire network, the energy network in Europe is combined together. So if a Germany, a plant in Ukraine actually was powering parts of England. Like that's, that's, that's happened. And recently the largest nuclear plant in the world is in Ukraine. It was just taken over by Russian forces. Well, so there's not sure if that starts with a Z. I don't know what, I don't know what um, you're talking yeah. about. They were attacking it like the, literally the other day. Yeah. It's now taken over by Russian forces. And so they don't know. And this is the largest. So there's a, there's a thing called reliability, short, reliability shortfall. You put in like in your market reserve. So if something like the biggest generator kicks off, you have enough reserves to copy that. You've now experienced the largest shortfall. And that could run for 20 years. Mm. So you're seeing a massive like tightening of the system. And so you're seeing gas generators run on. Oh, no more gas imports from Russia. That station's now been taken over. So the entire grid of like, the European Union is like, oh, fuck. We weren't expecting this to go off. Mm. We need to have reserves online. So looking at diesel gensets, they were about to kill off all their coal stations. They mothballed them. They're now turning them back on. And so why I agree, I think this might be a disruption to help change uh, renewable energy because they need to build something quick and the cheapest thing they can build and quickest is renewables. For the next four to five years, which is what you'll need to take over for that energy for shortfall, you're looking at massive price increases the price of gas in england just went up by 1300 percent. it's already Damn. it's the same price as it is here super expensive gone up by 1300 percent. we currently have some reserves to to, to manage but not that many I australia's going to experience that too it, it's almost gotten to the point where i go anywhere i'm like i don't even want to drive here because i don't have to worry mm. about fueling up because I mean, I'm, I'm i'm heavily considering investing in a bicycle yeah, yeah it's just too expensive to travel on the road like i want an ev could you imagine to- if the price of fuel is 24 dollars a liter that yeah I will, I will be buying a bicycle yeah absolutely my dad, <laughs> might even buy might even buy a pair of roller you know skates dad's electric vehicle looks a lot more attractive to those uh, uh yeah, petrol you know, heads now two hundred thousand dollars a car oh man that they're jumper. already like just, just in trying to invent an electric uh ripstick <laughs> actually i'll pull out my electric skateboard and ride mm, that one around because yeah. that's gonna be so much cheaper but like the knock-on effects here are incredible because england even though they put sanctions on they're looking at 10 percent inflation in the next year. That's massive. You're well, looking it's at usually two, 2%. It's yeah. usually 2% pre-COVID, 2% per year. 10% in like six to eight months. My God, that is yeah. monstrous. And, and you can't rely on the deflationary crypto because fucking Russia and China own over 60% of all the Bitcoin assets. So yeah. forget about That's it. what Warren Buffett says. He always says, it's like well, the old the old time is like, it's a, Putin runs it. Putin runs it. Yeah. And so like, yeah, you're right. I think there is going to be a distribution of energy. The, the cheapest thing they'll probably build, and I, I'm going to say it's wind. They're going to be building heaps of wind all through Europe on the, on the West Coast. Yeah, no, never eat soggy wheat On the West Coast, there's going to be heaps of wind, a bit of solar in like Spain and whatnot. But it's also concerning too because an investment, right? If you're trying to build these solar farms which have 20-year life cycles, ooh, what's the chance that this country is going to get invaded next? Exactly. And so they say, oh, they put the risk up. So a lot of projects will not be developed. So prices for electricity go up, gas prices go up, investment dries up because even in Australia, I was seeing investment firms that were based in Europe just say, sorry, we can't compete in this project anymore because we need to invest locally because we don't know where the money's going to go. We need to invest in things that are secure. Right now, we don't know if investing in Australia is that safe. So they just pulled out. So half, projects, half the investors just disappear. 
That's wild. That's billions of dollars. By the way, most of Australian assets are owned by a teachers' union in Canada. That's not a fucking joke. They invested everything. They own the desal plant and whatnot, and most exactly. of the farms. But yeah, a lot of the foreign investment is drying up and, invi- and only investing locally in their countries. So Australia, which is like 80% privatized in terms of the energy market, we're in a really struggle. We're getting knock-on effects as well. It is so widespread that we, we have to talk about that. But like... Could you not play the other side there and go, well, Australia is forecasted to be one of the biggest ne- exporters of hydrogen. So if they need to push hydrogen, green hydrogen projects in Europe, they would turn to mm-hmm. Australia. So it might balance out over the long run. It might balance out, sure. But to build a hydrogen, the hydrogen hums, which they're talking about, the earliest that we'll see one is 2032. Mm. You mean in Australia or in Europe to build hydrogen hubs over there? Both. Okay. Because you literally are not, we can't build them quick enough or the efficiency is not there to justify. There's missing money. Um, so like they're, they're setting up so that we have an expected cost for hydrogen coming through at this point, they're economical. We're not even close to it. And if you have like the largest nuclear, uh, station in the world, just switch off or the largest one in Europe, at least switch off. You need energy now. You don't have, you don't have time to wait 10 years for that shit. You need it now. What are you going to run diesel for the next 10 years in the meantime? Mm. Like it's, it's, it's dangerous what they're doing. You can talk about like, you know, positive and negative effects of economics, but you can't deny the fact that there's going to be an economic lag if Russia do pursue this invasion because eventually Europe's going to go, shit, we need to really spend more money on our military now. We're at threat. That's going to push back investment on renewables, on the healthcare system, on education, on AI, which like Germany's in their middle, Europe as a whole in their middle of their AI revolution. That's going to push us back so far now. So technological progression is now at threat as well, which is kind of what I'm almost most upset about in terms of the geopolitical side of things. Mm. It's going to really lag us. I think I I want to touch on something. You you mentioned technology as kind of a um, technology in terms of uh, adoption for this, in terms of warfare. Um, What do you reckon... Uh, one of the things I want to talk about is technology is the cyber warfare that's been occurring. For those who don't know, the day that Russia invaded Ukraine, our Medicare system crashed for 20, like 24 hours. If it, if it had lasted any longer, people probably could have died there. And then that's just Australia. We did the lightest sanctions I think we could. We just, like, the sheep in the back of the herd just following everyone else. Like, imagine what happened. And here's a story that I heard, and my dad mentioned this, so I, need, I can't confirm it completely, but... Microsoft, five days before the... Microsoft? Yeah, Microsoft, five days before the invasion, detected a hack signal across their computers in Ukraine. Now, Microsoft, who are great protectors of the IP, patched the software, made it unhackable against this type of attack, and shared it to the Ukraine servers two days before the invasion. And then during the militarization, um, they reached out to the ambassador. Uh, The US ambassador says, hey... Um, we think there might be some hacking going involved in Ukraine. Would you like the software update? And so just before the invasion, the entire system, within five days, Microsoft turned around and just fixed all the software to make it unhackable from the current method of attack. And obviously there's other ways to go about it, but they found the loophole and shut it. Imagine like a, you're trying to rob into a building and you, you find an open window. Pretty much Microsoft went down, shut all the windows. Hey, it's a pun, Microsoft Windows. Anyways. Uh- <laughs> I, have, I have a similar like cyber sort of block that happened with Google this time. So in terms of predicting what Russia was going to do and what Ukrainians were going to do. So in Belgrade, which is about 25 miles north of the Ukraine, there was a large influx of traffic seen on Google Maps. Coincidentally, so happened to be that in the exact same spot, there was this massive Russian military using radars. 
It just happened uh, to be in the exact same spot. So now Google has disabled all public access to traffic to protect Ukraine in hopes mm. to protect Ukraine citizens because you know like if if Ukraine wanted to flee like anyone can go Google Maps and be like dude look where the traffic is they're going that way so you know what I would do if I was big tech I'd be like uh-huh, I'm going to show all this traffic in this area <laughs> yeah. so divert the Russians to go that way and then well that's the other know. thing right I mean this is probably a breach of privacy but um, all the Russians took their smartphones with them you could literally say hey there's 50,000 phones moving in a certain direction Leak that information somehow. That's probably a breach of privacy, and companies are all about privacy these days. Warfare is different, sure, but I think mm. they would just say, oh, we can't say anything. However, there's a large cluster of phones in this one area going down this truck. Yeah. No, they, <laughs> so, could, they could do the classic, you know, it's like, is it here? You're getting colder. Yeah. Is it this way? Getting warmer. Warmer. Yeah. Warmer. <laughs> they just kind of like point to it. <laughs> Boiling oh, hot. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, steaming, steaming. <laughs> ah! Oh, that's a missile strike. <laughs> what, call, call me a lobster. Yeah. What I find crazy about living in a time like this, though, is how much social media influences. We've got things like Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, where you can... Pre- there's, a lot of fa- there's a lot of fake stuff there, but you can pretty much watch the war on mm. demand. I find that scary, but you can also see how it's affecting the actual military, Russian military. A lot of them do not want to be there. They do not want to fight. There's a video of like a Russian tank that I think ran out of fuel, and like a Ukrainian guy the drove tractor past. Took and, it he, past yeah. and then he goes, hey, do you guys want to lift back to the oh, Russian border? And they yeah, were just laugh. like, yeah, yeah, okay. There was another one where like there was... This is actually quite sad. There was a Russian guy. He just threw his arms down and then went up to a Ukrainian... like lady and started crying he just goes do you have a phone can you please facetime my mom for me i just want to talk to mom it's like do you want a tea do you want some food like you, i don't know if histories would document this i don't think we've ever seen that in a war before well another thing is um and patty you can mention this one the ukrainian ambassador reading out the text what are you talking about so there was a, oh i thought you we were talking about this before but there was a ukrainian ambassador to russia i th- believe and they, they were sent texts from a mother of a Russian soldier that was just killed. And it was like, hey, where are you? I thought you were doing training drills. And he goes, no, I'm not training anymore. And he goes, where are you? He's like, I'm in Ukraine. They said that we would be greeted as heroes. People are throwing themselves under our trucks to stop us. Mm. I want to go home. And that was the last message he sent. Oh, I did hear about this. Yeah, because they were yeah. convinced that, that all of Ukraine wanted Russians to come there. Yeah. By yeah. the actual soldiers themselves, mm. but they were misled. And, and this kind of leads into your story of the Ukraine's, the, the Russian soldiers saying, this is not what I wanted. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's terrifying. Mm. I mean, there's it just feels like... The- it's different It's different compared to World War One and World War Two, and even the Vietnam and Korean War, yeah. where you saw where everyone was, the propaganda in each country, even like when America was fighting all of them in mm. Britain and Australia and, you know, all the other countries, they were all propagandized into like believing... Yeah, a certain set of beliefs. So it's different now, considering that we can just send something and it'll be on the on the web mm. within a matter of seconds. Whilst back then, the only way to kind of get your message would be through leaflets yeah. and news and leaking, trying to leak information and stuff and, like and that. And you definitely saw that in Vietnam when like color television came alive and media mm. was sent there. There yeah. was a massive backlash from the US and Australia mm. and a lot of countries that were involved in that war no, the, to the, pull out because the, they went, this the, is awful. The infamous... Uh, bit of uh, no, what am I talking about? The, inf- the infamous uh, photo of the uh, the child running, the child the running naked, yeah. being blasted from orange. Uh, what's the called? Agent Orange? Agent yeah. Orange, and it's just like it's it's horror. It was horrifying. Everyone, massive backlash. Mm-hmm. 
this is actually something I want to touch on as well. Oh, it's something I was thinking about. Oh yeah, bro. Yeah. But the point being is, the the during Vietnam, it wanted to become um, part of the USSR, part of the Soviet Union um, at the time, and obviously it was part of Nixon's policy of containment to lock it down, mm. and it struggled because the populace didn't want it. I don't think Ukrainians want to be part of Russia. So even if, even if the entire military force in Ukraine is defeated, this is going to be like an Afghanistan or a Vietnam situation where the local populace are going to push back. Maybe not in one year or two years, but across the horizon, they won't be able to hold it. History will repeat itself yeah. in this situation. It's mm, happened absolutely. many times. Even in ancient times, like if it starts, um, what do they call, what was, what do they call Hitler? Like an evolutionaryist or something like that, where he was like, I don't know what the term was, where he just tried to dominate on individual populace and mm. stuff and eventually you're going to get that pushback and it's happened yeah. in with even in the ancient empires the ancient roman empire who eventually took everything was like this is like the fascism the the pretty much ladder we're going to run and everyone's like all right no worries let's roll with that it seems fine and five years later hang on a minute why do you get that and we don't yeah. it's going to be a very slow pushback when mm. they realize it's not the right way of living so i i can't imagine and with the sanctions that are put in place they don't have a time limit on them as long as Ukraine's currently in conflict and doesn't want to be there, and, and these sanctions will last. Hmm. They're not going to just stop. And even if they did, banks aren't going to be like, ooh, what's the chance that the sanctions come back on? There's massive risk involved. So no, this but is let's, 20 let's, years. Let's just, I'm going to throw a hypothetical before we end the yep. podcast today. Like, hypothetically, you know, six months' time, the, entire, the entirety of the Ukraine has been taken over by Russia. What happens then? Nothing's going to be turned back on. And if no. they do turn it back on, that is a big fuck you to mm. the, the, well, the, the would-be former they, they country. Can't, they can't turn it and back on. And again, yeah. you know, we'll be set back for, you know, probably decades, even mm. a, a long mm. time. But you know what? That has to happen. And because it's, like, it's not, even though we always talk about progression and mm. going forward and moving forward in the, into the future and actually like, like with uh, like hydrogen and, you know, like trying to do less nuclear and more hydrogen, like yeah. more solar energy and like better to be, be more environmental for the, for the, for, for, for the people. Mm. However, you just can't, when it comes actually just the people, you need to take care of the people first and yeah. especially the refugees. There's so many fucking refugees. Over a million They're fleeing, they're fleeing yeah. to Poland. They're fleeing to all over Europe to Berlin. Yeah, Romania, Italy Hungary. finally opened up his borders being like... No, I pissed off with Italy. Oh, yeah. Really pissed off. As because, an Italian. As an Italian explained. man. Yes. Yes. So, Matteo Silva, who as was As a one-eighth like, Italian, you are pissed off. No, I'm full. <laughs> Mate, I'm, I, grow, I grow smart tomatoes. That's the, hey, that's the hey, next hey, project. Hey, hey, um, anyway, Matteo Silva, the old... Um, uh, former president of Italy, mm. who's you know looks after immigration, I think, was basically like, yeah, we op- we open our doors to Ukrainians with open arms. Um, we're going to take refugees straight away. And everyone's like, oh, this is a good step for Italy. Like, no mm. worries. And this is an, a post all in Italian. And then he said, you know, why we're taking Ukraines in because there are real wars. That's from a real war. They're real refugees, mm. and it was and just the, like, and it was just there was fake conflicts going on in you know, all right, the Middle East. The, the yeah, Middle Eastern yeah, wars yeah, yeah, were yeah, all yeah. fake. That no, really fake, Photoshop, deep fake. Yeah, yeah. yeah, fake news. Yeah, it's like just like Mark Hamill in Mandalorian. Fake, fake very news. fake, very, very fake. fake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Now we're on, that we're on. We've just gotten onto the topic of politics. I think really the topic of Star Wars. <laughs> uh, Sorry, that was I mean, so, this whole thing's been... <laughs> the Nazis were, were the basis for the, for the yeah. stormtroopers. I, I guess... They were. Darth Vader is German for father. 
Yes. Yes, it is too. The the father, sorry. Yeah, continue. I guess politics has been carried through this whole podcast, but more on the economics and the technological side. But now that we've gone into actual politics, politics, I think it's going to be a bit of a political wake-up call for for Western Europe. And the reason I say that is, in this modern day, I think we can all agree that there's a constant culture war going on Mm. between the left and the right, right? In, In Europe, it's like nationalism and liberalism, massive in Europe at the moment. And what I think is going to happen is now that there's an invasion on the crux that's being threatened, um, people are going to realize that, no, this battle between left and right needs to sort of like stop. We need to actually come together because we are at threat. This stuff can happen at any time for any reason. Mm. We, we need to come together. That's that's not an argument between the left or right. I think everyone on both. I mean, this is again Democrats and Republicans agreed. Let, let me finish on both sides that this is bad. They let, condemned it. Let me get to my point. Is you have constant little culture battles happening all the time between the left and the right. They're going to realize those little culture battles aren't as important anymore now that an invasions happened because it's not worth the long term repercussions of a culture battle. Like yeah, sure they can be small, but they can. You know, one day maybe lead to civil war or some or civil unrest, even something like that. I I firmly believe there is no cultural war. I think it's absolute media push to to put two sides on either sides of the spectrum to fight each other, so the people in the middle uh, are forced to pick a side. I don't think it's actually a cultural war at all. I don't think anyone's been. I don't think trillions of dollars have been put towards a cultural war. Trillions of dollars have been put to economic warfare and yeah. actual warfare. But to a culture war, that's just a branding but tame for me. Whether you think there's funding towards or not, you can't stop. Like, I mean, you see it in America. That's not media pushing. That's just literally right in front of your eyes. It's, it's more of a culture war. In Europe, it's just little parts, different parts of the world. There's always little battles between the left and there's always going to be. But like, I have no idea what you're talking about. There's like, you, what part do you not agree with? Like, sorry, I think a lot of this culture war is just media propping up a fight which isn't even there. Oh, it's woke to cancel Vegemite or Coon Cheese, whatever its name is. You can't, you can't yeah. say that now, right? Yeah, well, that's the point being. Yeah, is it true. was Coon Cheese until a year ago. Well, it was we also, should have changed it. Yeah, but it was named after a place. Yeah, I know, but I mean, there's there's connotations to it. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm same well for like the Washington Redskins and things like yeah. that. I can say the name of the football team. I'm not saying anything wrong with it, mm. but I don't think it's anything to do with left or right. I don't think this conflict has. I, I think it's going to unite the left and right over time in Europe and make them realize they need to be together. Sorry, the right like is this. the militaristic, generally speaking, side. The, I'm talking about nationalism versus liberalism in Europe. Kind of different to how we understand politics here in Australia and America. Like, I am very strong on this belief that regardless of what you think or what you say, you can't never stop little battles between. It's, it's always been, it's literally right in front of your eyes. And we're living in the peak of it at the moment. All You see it all over social media. And that's not media driven by media corp. You, you can't you, you can't blind yourself to these little arguments we're seeing everywhere. I understand what you're like what you're what you're referencing. I get it, but I don't think that there's really going to be. I think people more or less are on the same page all the time. Mm. It's just certain things that are really topical and controversial that will definitely have different. Uh, opinions about like gun laws or you know military for example so I don't really think that a lot of the time mm. they're going to see eye to eye on those issues but the rest of the stuff the fact that you know invasion's bad war's bad yeah I agree with that you know but then there's going to be some people that really want to act on it and then others people that just really want to be want to be diplomatic about it I just think there's going to we're going to see more compromise following all, all of this happening there's well be- I, I hope so but you know I, I just but you know it takes 
it takes a village yeah. to make things happen. So. And that, that's what I'm saying. It's taking this conflict. People realize we need to cut all the bullshit out and stop being yeah. disagreeing with each other. And we just have to compromise with our situations. What makes mm-hmm. you happy? What makes me happy? All right, what's the middle ground? That's why what I think is truly going to come out from this. Mm, I hope so. Yeah. Anything else, Sean? Uh, not on that topic. I'll I'll pull off of that one. That nah, boo. Come on, bro. Oh, come on. Like left and right is like a very basic no nah, level well, three term to explain a political spectrum, which is more or less three dimensional, not one. We're trying to dumb it down as possible as but much as we can, bro. But you're trying down a topic which isn't needing to be dumbed down. Because yeah. on the left, you've got certain ways to deal with it. So obviously, we all agree that this is bad. How we deal with it is... Or diff- is it good? Playing devil's advocate. Here. No, absolutely not. Okay. No, there's no way... There's I nothing mean, good about about innocent people dying. Large conflicts well of this aware. scale, the middle class and lower classes suffer the most. Yeah. They will suffer mm. the most. People will starve, die. Unemployment will affect the lower tiers of society before it affects the higher tiers, which is why the sanctions attack the oligarchs first. Because they wanted to make it hurt at the top before hurting the bottom would hurt the top. That, that, that makes sense. Mm. To say that it's a left or right spectrum that they're being pushed aside. Again, it's not a left or right argument here. That's literally not the point no, of my you're, argument. You're saying the conflict is saying that we should prioritize an actual fight over the left. No, no, no. That's not that's not what I'm saying. I'm disconnecting that from the war, for example. I'm saying the war is making people realize that they have to stop well, having these little battles between each other and just literally compromise on decisions more. I'm saying in the long term you're going to see people get on politically after this in Europe. That is my main point. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, generally speaking, the, the whole idea, and Rick and Morty did an episode on this, where like the snake planet was fighting each other. Mm. Uh, and the only reason they stopped fighting in, was to fight a common goal, which was Morty. Um, mm. Yes. This will be a similar cataclysmic event, sure. So you're saying that Russia is our Morty. Or one of the Mortys <laughs> in the Rick and Morty universe. One of, multi- one of multiple Mortys. See, <laughs> multiple this, this is only my speculation if the invasion continues to go to full scale. And let's not beat around the bush. It looks like it's going to go that way with the weapons they've got. Great topic. Weapons. What do you know about the, the weapons that Russia are using and Ukraine are using? Hmm. Well, I mean, like, the problem is modern conflicts devise modern weapons. And the, we have accelerated mm. technology much faster than we theoretically should have. We're still using soldiers. Obviously, soldiers win wars. But the weapons they use are terrifying. Longer-range missiles, yeah. um, higher-caliber uh, tanks. The new tanks the Russian has are the most advanced in the world. These things are two-driven, automatic, uh, with, I think, a little bit of AI in them to control the turrets. Mm. They're, they're so advanced... And no one else is building tanks because we believe profits was keeping the economy afloat. And that, that is, we didn't need to invest in military. Russia didn't take that to, to them. So they have invested some pretty heavy stuff. I think the scariest weapons they have are the thermobaric rockets. Yeah. Really scary. And there's a type of weapon called the TOS-1 heavy flamethrower. There was a video shown of the like Russians making their way through the south of Belogram, which I mentioned before, 25 um, miles north of the Ukraine and Plekin, which is 72 kilometers away from Kharkiv. I can't pronounce those Russian, but I think it's called Kharkiv. But do you know do you know what thermobaric rockets are, Pads? Is it something similar to the vacuum bomb? I'll give you a yeah, tip. Very so, similar. A barometer is a way of measuring pressure. Thank you. So thank you, thank you. For try and me. figure out the etymology of thermobaric. Mm. 
No, I'd rather not. I'd rather just have you tell me. So, thermobaric <laughs> rockets pretty much suck in oxygen from the atmosphere around them under very high pressure and temperature and can instantly vaporize human bodies. And it's not just that. Destroy organs of the humans around them. So, if so, you're near a rocket but not in the impact... So, it's a vacuum bomb. The, pretty much, it'll oxi- the oxygen will get sucked out of your lungs. Yeah, that, that happened a few days ago like where they dropped a vacuum... A thermobaric that, weapon. Thermobaric yeah. or a vacuum bomb, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And, 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 70, and 70 soldiers... Died. And they used it in Gronzy back in 2000, so there's no doubt they might even use it again. But the War Crimes Tribunal is already putting an investigation into this because it would be a fucking serious war it crime. Is awful. I mean, I think in the 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 War Crime Tribunal in World War One was really funny. They're like, "Oh, we used the, the mustard gas." Sorry, that's my best German impersonation. And then the and then the Americans came in with a shotgun, the trench shotgun. And they went, this is not fair. It's killing too many Germans. Like, you're using mustard gas, man. If you're going to compromise, cut one with the other. <laughs> What's mm. going on? But yeah, like, it, this is an awful, awful loss of life. Yeah. Uh, and with weapons that shouldn't really be affected. I don't know. I, I am sick of seeing... Because nowadays, conflicts don't make sense. Military conquest by military force don't make sense. You look at other countries doing it, they're doing it economic means. They're buying land, they're using lease, they're investing, they're diversifying their portfolio. They're literally buying parts of other people's governments and then owning them. That is cheaper. You can own a country without landing a single boot on the ground. Mm. That is the more common way of doing it these days. Like... Uh, and corporate. both and both parties will benefit in the long run from that. No one has to die in the process, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, you don't need to do a massive loss of life. Like, it doesn't make sense that we're seeing this in this day and age. And the knock-on effects are terrifying. We're going to see impacts of potentially up to 20 years, 20, 30 years before we fully recover from this. This will be like COVID again. And in the I reckon it sort of is, sort of does have an analogy for COVID in the way that... And it's good we're doing this at the end of the podcast. I don't want mm-hmm. to bring COVID into it. At the start, it was like, oh, yeah, it's just a little invasion, like similar to COVID. Oh, it's just an, ep- it's just an epidemic. It'll come to pass, mm-hmm. turn into a pandemic. Will this turn into a Cold War Two? I'm not going to say World War Three because I don't. I strongly don't think it'll be World War Three. If it's World War Three and then Russia actually uses nukes, that's the end of the world. Yeah. So I, mm. I have to hope that we won't go there because if we do, we're gone. Just, Every everything we fought for is gone. Just to put it into perspective, with the combined nuclear power uh, of bombs we have on the world, if they were to unleash all of them, you could potentially knock Earth out of its own orbit. Isn't that? Somewhat right. Yeah, and not even that. Even if you used half of them, the radiation fallout would affect the entire planet. Everyone yeah. would die. And imagine the chaos from that, oh, knocking out... Like, if you knocked a planet out of its solar system, you could potentially fuck other parts you of the galaxy up You would push us into too. the sun, you would crack the Earth's core. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Anyways, I think we should end the podcast on that one. We had a lot of topics there to talk about, and we're approaching the, the right time for the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. I want to thank everyone for listening to this week's podcast. Uh, we will actually have some video attached to this one that we'll put up on social media. Check mm-hmm. out TikTok and Instagram. Yep, and we'll <laughs> see you all in the next one. Thanks for listening. To see more Engineering Dads content like this, head to our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and I'll link below to see our other projects. Have a good one.